0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this weekend for a, a once again changed headliner. At the time of recording this, at the very least, we're looking at Jack Hermanson versus Marvin Vittori in a fun middleweight clash main event. That, of course, before was Kevin Holland, and before that was Darren Till fighting Jack And Manson. So we've had it changed a couple of times, but hopefully now we've got it nailed down. And we're looking to nail down our picks as well as part of Fights Dogs and Parlays, which me and Shockwave Dave will be getting to you a little bit later on. You've got to listen to our picks each and every week, because let me tell you something. Our parlays have been going absolutely wild. Three weeks in a row, we've hit some plus money parlays for you guys. So you're going to want to make sure to tune in to that. You also want to check out our interviews, which we're going to kick off the show with. First, I'm talking to Damon the Leach Jackson as he gets ready to show what he can do once again after that fun guillotine victory over said Bechtik in his return to the UFC. And then I'm going to talk to Jordan Levitt about his UFC debut coming off of the Contender Series. And we're going to get to all of that in just a moment. But first, I got to let you know that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by ProPace Metrics, From the creator of Grapple App, the Jitsu game on your phone, which by the way, you should download that as well. ProPace is a new Android app designed specifically to measure and drive up the performance of of your striking combat sports. They use the striking clinic feature on your phone, which picks up the mic. That's right, it picks up your phone's mic, detects your kicks and punches, which helps you drive up your work rate. And, And if you feel like it's moving too fast or too slow, they got five difficulty levels, Plus, once you're done, they give you all the metrics. That's why it's called Pro Pace Sports Metrics. They give you all the metrics on your workout, which you can then use to drive up your performance further, share with your friends on Twitter, or so many other features. Make sure to check them out in the Android App Store. That's Pro Pace Sports Metrics. Pro Pace brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts
1: are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are for top turtle mma with shockwave and gumby
0: All right, and joining me today is Damon Jackson who fights Ilya Torpuria at UFC Vegas 16, Hermanson versus Holland. So, Damon, I wanted to start by talking about your return to the UFC. You're away for nearly five years. I got to get your your take. What was it like to get back in there and to get a win in such an emphatic fashion?
2: Yeah, no, it was definitely, it was nice to make make my way back. You know, I've been doing that since, uh, I don't even remember what year I got cut. It was uh, just been, you know, such a long trip but I just really just kept my head down I didn't really think a whole lot about it and then just any opportunity that was coming up to get in you know I was asking for a fight and uh it just never worked out and um you know that's why I made that little run in the PFL and then I realized that I really wanted to be in the UFC so I asked them to to get me out and then once I you know got that first win uh in LFA and got me back in I was uh you know just blown away it was nice because you know COVID's just been crazy but it was nice to have like the positive out of it was to just to get an opportunity like that you know it was just uh, it it's pretty awesome and then to get a win like that was huge you know that's definitely how um i wanted to come in was you know on a big name i didn't want to come in on you know someone's debut or anything like that so it was nice to come in on a big fight like that and then get the win was you know it was pretty cool
0: absolutely now i know you said you you just kind of kept your head down and, and we're just you know fighting in lfa and we're happy with that and went to pfl but how do you look back at that, that first run in the UFC? Obviously you have some thoughts about it. You had one weird fight that wound up, you know, in no contest because, you know, the opponent was juicing. You you've got one draw that, that was your last fight. How how do you how do you look back and what do you take from that?
2: Um, you know, just like whenever I made it in, I'd only been uh I'd only been fighting for about uh I it was less than a year. When I made it into the UFC, I'd only been fighting for like, you know, I don't even remember, it was, or it was less than two years, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, it was less than two years, So I hadn't been fighting very long, and um, when I made it in, I had only had wrestling, and I had a lot of jiu-jitsu practices in, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot, and um, so, you know, it's not, no surprise that I didn't stick around very long, but uh, at the time, you know, it was pretty devastating to to get in, that was my goal to get there, and I really didn't know what to do after I got there, so, uh, now having the time out out of the um, UFC and actually getting to build myself back up with you know a bunch of bunch of different fights you know I had a had a I had two losses outside of the UFC but you know it was just it was just uh, it was a trip the whole time and I was fighting different people um, different styles you know it wasn't just um, all easy fights you know I had a bunch of tough fights and um, you know just to work my way back towards that goal of getting back to the UFC. And then trying to get in the top twenty or you know top fifteen. That was uh, it was nice to get that win and to you know put myself in that you know that mix.
0: Yeah, and you, you've mentioned that you wanted a big name coming back. said Betic is a guy who was in the top ten fairly recently, and, and you mentioned now you know trying to get that name so that you can get into the top ten or the top twenty. You you get offered in your second fight here though, Iliar Tur- Torpuria, excuse me. He's a guy who's relatively unknown. He's an unbeaten guy. He's one and zero in the UFC. Were you sort of surprised that that was the name they came to you after submitting uh, Mirsad Bechtic?
2: Nah, no, you know, I, I honestly, uh, I think that this kid has a lot of hype. I think that he's um, he's definitely some solid talent. Talent, and I think that you know, Sean, he's it's not like he does this and he doesn't think about it. Like he he thinks about all the stuff he does. He knows the matchups well, and um, I think he put this together because. This is going to be kind of like whoever has the best ground game is going to survive this. And then also, it kind of like it, it'll shut some people up saying that I'm just a wrestler. And it'll, you know, prove to on his side of things, it'll prove that he's going to have to be more well rounded because he's not going to be able to take me down as easy as he has uh, his other opponents in the past. You know, he came off that win, off of, uh, the use of win, but that was actually. A matchup I was trying to get myself. You know, I would have loved to have fought Yusuf when he had that, you know, three-fight win streak because I just knew that I was like this guy can't wrestle. He can't. He can't grapple. He can't wrestle. So, um, you know, I would have taken that fight too. And, um, you know, I'm not. I'm not just blown away by his jiu-jitsu. It it was just that he he is a good, well-rounded fighter, and he does uh, have good MMA jiu-jitsu where he transitions from. He transitions from wrestling to boxing and then from wrestling to jiu-jitsu pretty well. So, um, you know, I respect his ground game for sure. And, uh, I think that we're both going to respect each other's ground game and it's not going to be, uh, on the ground a whole lot. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot of, uh, trading on the feet. So.
0: That's interesting. So, you, you, are you going into this fight preparing? Now, granted, you're you're obviously working all parts of your game, but are you going into this fight sort of expecting a, a striking battle and preparing more for that side of things?
2: Um. Well. So yeah. Like you know, you you say you want to prepare for everything, but uh, I've just been I've been doing jiu jitsu and doing wrestling for so long that, um. You know, I'm not letting that slack at all. You know, I'm still. I actually. I've got to wrestle more this camp than I have in other camp. And, um, so I'm not letting that slack at all, but, you know, I'm definitely preparing for, um, I'm not going to be diving in on a shot every time that it's open because he does have a solid choking game and I don't want to be giving him that advantage of, you know, giving him my neck and, you know, putting myself in a weird position. So, um, I think that there's definitely going to be a lot of, uh, um, I don't think there'll be a lot of filling out cause I think we'll both come out ready to go. And, um, I think that there'll be a lot of like hesitation with shooting in on, you know, wrestling each other. So I think that it's going to end up being a scrappy fight and, uh, you know, and then maybe later in the rounds, we'll have some, uh, some jujitsu.
0: Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Now I, I got to ask too, cause you said you got to do a little bit more wrestling than you usually do in camps. We did notice that uh, your your coach had recently announced that your camp was filled with not only just your usual level killers, but also Kamara Usman, welterweight champion, was seen working out with your camp as well. Did you get a chance to work with the champ? And if so, is that some of the stuff that you're, you're bringing into this fight as well?
2: No, I, I mean, we always bring stuff in like that. You know, we bring a little bit from each person that comes in. And I think uh, Kamara, he's just some like – when you get around the dude, you can learn something from him if you're paying attention at all. You know, uh, this close to fight camp, you know, my weight's pretty low right now. So um, I wasn't getting any grappling in with him just because, you know, my weight's not where I would want it to be if I was going up against him, you know. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be about that 175 at least, you know. So, um, you know, I I didn't get any any grappling in with him. Uh, He was actually in there today when we were doing our walkthrough and stuff and just kind of um he was in there working with uh some of the bigger guys like jeff Neal, and um you know it, then we got span coming up and you know it's just a, it's a good little mix man we got such a good uh such a good atmosphere at fortis and um you know i think a lot of people are starting to see that just because you know we don't do our camps at you know anywhere else we stay there the whole time and you know we have that one coach thing which is huge because that uh it really like um, it frees you up to like listen because if you have multiple coaches telling you you know a million different things and you know it's like uh, you don't know who to listen to so it's nice to have that uh, that solid coaching foundation that we have and I think that's you know bringing a lot of people into our gym but uh, you know I always can learn something from Kamar and you know all those guys that are you know kind of coming in and out so um, yeah it's nice to see him.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up Saif Saad because I've interviewed now, it feels like a hundred guys out of Fortis MMA. And I love Saif Saad's stories about what he's given people for advice in between rounds. Because he's one of the most animated guys in between rounds yeah. when it comes to, to giving advice. So I was wondering, do you have a story about anything he's ever told you in between rounds that was particularly, oh. you know, like, Saif Saudi?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that last fight, it was like, that last fight, and then I had my very first fight with him I ever, like, had underneath him was down in, like, uh, Midland, Texas, like, in the middle of nowhere, and um, so I'm, like, coming in the round, and I just got, uh, I just got, like, you know, I was, like, exhausted, you know, this guy hits me with a cheap shot, and I'm, like, you know, the referee had to step in, and, like, uh break up the fight because he he hit me like behind the head or you know i don't remember or no he would he went to go touch gloves that's what it was and then uh he ended up like dropping me with the right hand because he faked the, t- the touch of the gloves so i didn't touch that's actually why i don't touch from here on out was because of that guy but he actually went to go touch gloves and he dropped me and i mean i fall down i luckily i grab a single leg and i'm like just holding on to the the end of the round. And then going into the second round, I'm sitting there like out of my mind, like you know, like what the hell is going on? It's like my third pro fight, and um, he looks at me, he grabs me by the chin, and just slaps me around the face. He said, "Wake your ass up," you know, like <laughs> or he said something to me like, "Wake up," you know, whatever. And, uh, and then I went out there and I subbed the guy, like you know, right after that. And then if you go back and look at this fight, he did the exact same thing. He's like going into that third round, you know, I'm like. I wasn't tired at all. And I was like looking around, I wasn't like, you know, zoned in on what he was saying and he slapped me across the face and he was like, he got my attention, you know? And it's a, like, you know, stuff like that. Like he, he just has so much passion for what he does. And, uh, all the guys on the team, um, they, they love to be around that and cause it's just hard to get that with, uh, with this sport nowadays. It's like, there's a lot of nasty people in it. And, uh, especially with coaching like there's no one that is is, he's at every single practice and he's the guy that runs every practice and it's like um that constant um like having that one coach that constant just in your face he never lets you screw up and i think that's huge i think that uh, a lot of people don't get that and um you know i respect that you know more than anything is just having that every day that consistency that he brings
0: yeah, well, and it's certainly working, too, because you guys are absolutely on fire. And like you said, more and more people noting the name Fortis MMA every single time one of you walks into the cage. Now, before we wrap up, I did want to ask you about the fight. Uh, obviously, I like to get fighters to give me a prediction on how they see it ending. They don't always like to, but I'm going to ask you for it anyway. When this fight goes down next weekend, uh, you know, UFC Vegas 16, how do you see an ending?
2: Uh, you know, I definitely see you know me coming out on top with the uh, with the solid submission game. You know, I, I think that he'll he's going to end up shooting in, and I'm not going to be that guy that, that's diving in for wrestling every time that I get hit. And I think that that's what has that's what's going to happen to him is that when he gets hit, he's going to be shooting in, and you know, I think it's going to be a lot like Betic, and I think I'll find that submission.
0: All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Damon Jackson who fights Aaliyah Torpuria at UFC Vegas 16, Hermanson versus Howland. Damon, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate
0: it. And that interview with Damon the Leech Jackson is brought to you by Respect the Tap. Visit respectthetap.com because this is a company that is both passionate about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and combat sports, and their apparel reflects that. But they're not just passionate about the sport, but they're passionate about design and style, too. They're a fashion-forward MMA and BJJ clothing brand that bucks the trends of all those other apparel companies that you used to see with skulls and dragons all over them, and instead it embodies the honor and inner strength and respect that is inherent in martial arts. I'm currently rocking one of their Signature Series snapbacks right now. It is very sharp-looking, not too busy, but I got it with a little pop of color because I got the pink brim on it. But maybe you don't want the pink brim on it. They've got lots of options. You should check out all their snapbacks and all of their apparel at respectthetap.com. All right, and joining me now is Jordan Leavitt, who fights Matt Wyman at UFC Vegas 16 this upcoming weekend. So, Jordan, I, I want to talk to you about something that-, that I'm really interested in. I'm a guy who loves a good nickname story, and you've got one of the best nicknames in MMA right now. Do you mind sharing with us where the nickname The Monkey King uh,
1: originates no of course not it all started um in middle school i was really into kung fu movies and i remember the movie Forbidden kingdom i saw that with a bunch of my friends and i was in maybe whenever it was out like sometime in middle school i saw the Forbidden kingdom and the monkey king is a common character in kung fu flicks and he has a very playful attitude and but it's like kind of like deceptively dangerous and like a lot of my friends are like he's like you He's all playful and weird, and you know, um, and it kind of just stuck. It stuck with me since then. It's always been my nickname since I've been like t- a ten or eleven, twelve. But yeah, it's all based off of old kung fu movies.
0: I like that. Now you mentioned, you know, you you feel that you're a little weird and you you self-proclaimed nerd, and you you love kung fu movies when you're a kid. W- was that what helped you transition to the idea of wanting to be an MMA fighter or wanting to fight?
1: Yeah, 100%. I, when I was younger, I was probably a ninja for eight or nine Halloween. <laughs> and I always, you know, I wanted to be a professional wrestler when I was young, because I thought that stuff was real. And then, you know, you become an adult, you grow older, you realize that stuff is not real. So I was like, ah, oh, I wish there was something like some form of combative thing that I can do so I could be like a ninja and do cool moves. And then I kind of discovered MMA. I had just a wrestling tournament. And I saw the Ultimate Fighter on TV, and I saw it. My eyes lit up, and I knew that's that's what I wanted to try out. And I've kind of just ran with it since then.
0: And, and did you have any like formal martial arts background as a kid? You know, you said you you wanted to be a ninja, but but were you a you know a kid
1: who was into karate, into jujitsu? Um, no, I did. My first athletic endeavor was when I was 15. I joined the wrestling team and then quit. I would just roughhouse with my friends in the front yard. But, yeah, I had no kung fu experience. I was one of those kids that had dreams, but had no reason to have those dreams when I was that young.
0: (laughs) Well, well, I'm interested. Now, you said you joined the wrestling team when you were 15 and almost immediately quit. What what got you away from wrestling so quickly?
3: So,
1: you know, I was raised in a household of all girls. I was the weird private school kid. And I was, like, my first time being in public school since I was a tiny kid. So I wanted to join a team because my friends were a part of it. So, But I thought wrestling was going, like, oh, I have a rough house with my friends at four. It should be easy. And wrestling is very hard, very intense, very difficult. And I just think I was maybe a little bit, um, I wasn't mature enough for it at that stage. I had, i was a vegetarian for five years when I was younger. So I was like five foot eight, like 100 pounds maybe. I was so skinny and scrawny. So I just couldn't handle, like, the rigors of wrestling. So I quit wrestling. Cellules went fighter on TV, started eating meat, put on some weight, and then the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Well, and and that's interesting, too, because, you you know, you said you weren't ready for the rigors of wrestling. And and obviously MMA is a whole different animal. But was the shift, once you had a goal in mind, easy for you to make?
1: Yeah, 100%. It was hard to just love and enjoy wrestling at that time, because it was just a difficult school sport that I didn't plan on going anywhere. But when I saw, you know, the ultimate fighter on TV, I'm like, okay, I want to do whatever I have to do to make it on there. So then I figured out that them have a lot of another wrestling background. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll give wrestling a chance. A lot of them to have to eat. Well, g- gain weight, be strong. I started working on that. But yeah, it was much easier once I had that end goal in mind. Interesting.
0: In out of curiosity, you know, you're a guy who's got a ton of submission finishes. You know, like, almost your whole record, looking back at it, it, amateur or pro, is filled with submissions. Was was wrestling something you naturally took to once once you made that mental switch?
1: Um, I don't think so. Actually, wrestling um was very awkward and difficult for me to really get a grasp on. But I think it was. At regionals of my junior year in high school, I kind of just had like, maybe I hit all all my maturity hit me at that time, but everything just kind of clicked for me halfway through my junior year, and I realized that like, okay, I realized that people react to things that you do, and I realized that those reactions can be relatively the same from everybody else, so I learned to finally be proactive as an athlete as opposed to when you're young and you're not experienced you're just trying to react to everything your opponent's trying to do. But I had a cl- mental click halfway through that season where I realized, like, if I'm proactive, I could force people to do a set of predictable out- uh, of moves that I can counter those. So once I figured out a way to, like, conceptualize it as kind of like a puzzle, it clicks for me. But it wasn't until I bridged that mental gap that I was able to do that.
3: That's
0: interesting. Now, so you you feel like you it finally clicked, wrestling finally clicked. Then, w- when was it that you added the other martial arts? Did you did were you doing jiu-jitsu all along during that time? Was it something that you picked up after high school?
1: Yeah, right after I saw the Ultimate Fighter, within three months. So I was a freshman in high school. So maybe that freshman year summer, I you know I, I bought it, my my mom got me a punching bag for Christmas. I was going to the old Tap Out gym. I'm um, in Vegas. And yeah, I kind of just ran a bit. And then I joined the wrestling team the upcoming year. But yeah, I was training at all at the same time. And,
0: and did, did jujitsu click better for you then? Cause like you said, you're, you're a guy who's, you know, thinking about future outcomes, thinking about whether or not, you know, this move is going to force this counter or that. Did, did jujitsu come to you naturally as a result of that?
1: Yes. Jujitsu was so much simpler, you know, like it's hard, you know, like teenage boys that are all angsty and full of energy and testosterone. You know, it was just super hard to fall. Everything moved so quickly. But I remember one of my first jiu-jitsu classes, I was rolling with like a, a 50-year-old heavyset guy. And things come a little bit slower from them, you know. Jiu-jitsu gave me the opportunity to really figure out how things work and things came at you at a slower pace. And I really just liked how less rigorous jiu-jitsu was when I was that age. And now... You know, it really helped prepare, like, really helped pave the way for my wrestling. That makes a
0: lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about this fight, too, because you're, you're getting your UFC debut, and you're getting it against a guy who's probably been fighting longer than you've been watching that season of The Ultimate Fighter, right? Matt Wyman is a guy who made his, his UFC debut. I mean, if we're digging all the way back, we're, he, he made his UFC debut in 2007. Actually, I take that back. He, t- he made his UFC debut in 2006. What, what was it like when you heard his name as the p- potential opponent that they were going to give you?
1: It was super weird. I was a big fan of Matt Wyman in high school. I used to watch his fight against Cole Miller on repeat. I thought that fight was so interesting when I was in, like a freshman, sophomore in high school. So when I saw this name, and I'm like, crap, I know who that is. I'm a fan of him. I had mixed feelings. I, it's, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's really weird because I, you know, I was a 45-er for most of my career, so I never really planned on fighting any of the 55-ers. So, like, I could just be a fan of the 55-pound division. So, like, fighting somebody that you're a fan of, when you really hadn't, like, it really hadn't, like, come to you that these are my competitors now, it was really jarring, and I had mixed feelings about it. I'm a big fan of Handsome Matt, um, and it's an honor to face him, but, yeah, there's a lot of mixed, there's like a maelstrom of emotion. That that makes a lot of
0: sense now, and I love the candidness there for for us, because uh, you don't usually see that too often with fighters. Do, do you do you look back at his record too? Because I was noticing this. The guy's never been submitted in his whole life. Like yep. this guy's got the craziest record, right? 25 fights, 16 and nine. Tons of fights in the UFC. Never been subbed. What, what is it like when you see that and you could be the first person
1: to sub somebody you grew up watching? I, I noticed that he'd never been submitted before, but, you know, everybody but two of the people i would ever fought ever, they didn't have a, they, they were all undefeated. And I was the first person to submit them too. So I've kind of made my career off submitting people who haven't been submitted before. So I'm excited for the challenge because he's a lot more savvy all these young up-and-comers that I've kind of like knocked off but um you know if I can't submit them I'll find a way to finish them if I can't find a way to finish them I'll find a way to dominate them that's the plan I am a well-rounded martial artist and I'm gonna try to show that well we're certainly looking forward to seeing it once again fans this is
0: Jordan Levitt who fights Matt Wyman at UFC Vegas 16 Jordan thanks so much for the time man I really appreciate it thank you Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jordan Levitt, as well as the interview before that with Damon Jackson. I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I am now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, certainly upsetting to see the main event get knocked out kind of at the last second like that, but uh, so it goes in the COVID area. So what do I want to know about that last night's fight? I want to know what you thought about that triangle choke finish.
3: Yeah, what a bummer about Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis not happening. I was super hyped on that fight, but the fight game moves on. And, hey, I tell you what, when you see a triangle choke off the back like that, it makes me a happy boy. We all know I'm a fan of the old submission game. And this ain't UFC 1994, this ain't UFC 2004, this ain't UFC even 2008-ish. That kind of thing, a sub off the back, don't happen very often anymore no and I I would say probably if you look
0: back at the subs that happen off the back and I know we used to track this and and have good records of it I bet you guillotine is probably right up there at the top armbar off the back is probably next right because we saw Courtney Casey get one of those fairly recently I don't think I've seen a triangle choke that started with a guy being on his back like that and working like steady jujitsu progressions to it. Like I think I've seen probably people in transition. I've probably seen people in like a mounted position roll over for the triangle a la Habib. But like, I'm not sure that I've seen somebody just with like pure good jujitsu off their back do that in quite a while.
3: Yeah, agreed. I, I honestly, the last one I think of, and I'm sure we're like forgetting, and some fans gonna hit us up and say, "You guys aren't real jujitsu nerds because you forgot about blah blah blah." Hey, <laughs> shut up, okay? <laughs> Just tell us, we'll be happy to give you credit. But the last one I remember, at least on a high profile setting, was when Tony Ferguson uh, hit one off Ke- on Kevin Lee. Yeah, uh, when Kevin Lee had staff infection. That that's
0: definitely like the last I would say big pure jujitsu off their back one. They're, they're, like you said, there's probably a whole bunch of prelims in there. But again, yeah, like if we're talking just like high level headline, co-headline type level title challengers. Heck, that one was for uh a, a interim title, if I'm not mistaken. The, the last time we've seen anything at that level is, was probably Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee.
3: Yeah, we'll have the intern look that up. I also would say too, I don't even think of guillotines as being off the back. I think of those more like in transition stuff, a takedown kind of just happens. I agree with what you're saying. Like when is the last time and it just doesn't happen very often that someone is actually working from their back and, and gets like an arm bar or a triangle. It's very rare and that's what made it very cool. But I'll tell you what's even cooler. It's uh, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays time, Gumby, for UFC Vegas 16, our favorite segment on the show. Before we get into it, though, one may wonder if any company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays.
0: Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M A R U N E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. Cause you can track your training sessions using Maroon Social so that you meet the goals that you set for yourself. And right now Maroon Social wants to give you its peak, which is its premium version of its app for free, just for listeners of the show by using promo code top turtle MMA. You can get a free download of their peak version for a whole year. That's right. The whole year. So download Maroon Social, wherever it is, you download your apps.
3: All right. We have been playing, uh, like, I don't know, musical chairs, Russian roulette. I don't even know what to say about this main event for UFC Vegas 16. Originally it was Jack Hermanson, uh, versus Darren Till. Then Till, I believe, got injured. Uh, and then who, uh, Kevin stepped Holland. in after, yeah, Kevin Holland popped for COVID. Uh, so now they've moved on to Marvin Vittori stepping up on short notice. Did I get that, uh, lineage correct? Yeah. And the craziest thing is like, it's, we, it's definitely short notice
0: for the fight because they just picked it up like this weekend, but it's not really short notice for Vittori. Who's been in camp nonstop for like the last nine weeks for Jacare. It's just bumping him up a week, changing his opponent. And I'm not even sure how much it's changing his opponent, which we'll get into in a second.
3: Well, yeah, let's, let's break that down and look into it. Jack Hermanson is coming off a big submission win over Kevin Gastelum with a heel hook. You'll love to see it. Lost to Jared Cannonier before that via TKO. And before that, had a really nice win streak. Uh, beat some really nice names, actually. Four in a row. Talis Leitez with a TKO. Gerald Mearshart with a guillotine. David Branch with a guillotine. And got a unanimous decision win over Jacques Array, uh, of all people. Uh, this is a jitsy heavy Jack Hermanson here with guillotine chokes and a heel hook to his credit taking on Marvin Vittori, the Italian fighter uh, Vittori is coming off a rear naked choke win himself over Carl Roberson uh, beat Andrew Sanchez before that beat Cesar Ferrara before that. Uh, so on a three fight win streak took a split decision loss to Israel Ida Not many people can say that as far as the split uh, who you got in this fight. What is Marvin Vittori's path to victory if you are like others and you're just going to take Jack Hermanson who I will mention is betting off at the minus 135 favorite uh excuse me Hermanson the plus 115 dog Vittori the minus 135 favorite
0: yeah and sort of surprising line for me there I I totally see the path to victory for Vittori and I'm actually picking Vittori too but Jack Hermanson was a negative like 230 favorite over Kevin Holland and I think he might have even been a favorite over Darren Till, although I don't remember those odds as well. And then I saw Marvin Vittori stepping up on, uh, like I said, just bumping up a week, and I expected him to be a dog too. And he comes out as the favorite, and I think the reason is pretty simple here. If you look at Jack Hermanson against either Till or Kevin Holland, the takedown was going to be there for, for Hermanson, and he was going to be able to work that top game, that uh, you know, those guillotine chokes that he likes to use, he was going to be able to use his jiu-jitsu against those guys. Marvin Vittori is much harder to take down. And I think that that's the real problem here for Hermanson is that when you looked at him fight Jared Cannonier, his problem against Jared Cannonier was he missed the takedown and his response wasn't, okay, well, I got to set up the takedown better. I got to strike better. His response was, I'll throw another takedown. I'll throw another takedown. I'll go with another takedown. And it happened over and over and over again. And the more and more he got stuffed, the more tired he got, the more obvious it was what he was doing to Cannonier. And Cannonier lit him up with the strikes. I don't see him as being quite as desperate for the takedown here against Vittori. But if Vittori stuffs one or two, which I totally see happening here, Vittori's going to light him up on the feet. And I think win pretty easily here. Whether or not he can stop him, I'm not sure. But I do think most likely scenario here is Vittori with the hands, keeping away from the takedown and lighting up Jack Hermanson on the feet.
3: Do you see uh, Hermanson having the clear cut advantage on the ground?
0: I I do see him as having the clear cut advantage on the ground. And I actually think the longer this fight goes, the more faith I have in Jack Hermanson. Um, Because obviously, like I said, I I think that Marvin Vittori, as long as he's stuffing the takedowns, is probably going to have better luck on the feet. I think he's he's cleaner on the feet. He hits harder on the feet. Um, he's more a more willing striker on the feet. But, yeah, I, I do see him as having the advantage on the ground. He took Jacare down three times, which, not that Jacare's got great takedown defense, but, like, he's a good grappler. And he also threatened Jacare with a lot of submissions. He almost had that arm-in-guillotine-type deal that he had. I, I don't even know if you want to call it an arm-in-guillotine. Um, but it, it, he, he almost had that guillotine on Jacare in that fight, I mean, he submitted David Branch, who is a legit black belt. He submitted Gerald Mearshard, who's a legit black belt. Like, he's a very good submission artist once he's on the ground. I just don't wonder if he's going to get it there. And I, I think probably his only hope with that is to tire Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori, not notoriously a really great finisher. You know, he's he's got one finish in his last seven fights. So, like, that being said, maybe this gets to the fourth or fifth round and we see Jack Manson start to be successful with the grappling. But I'm not sure how much he'll have in the tank left, too, because
3: we, we haven't really seen him fight deep into a fight like that. You know, uh, and I agree with everything you just said there. Uh, this is very interesting to me, this kind of matchmaking in our next fight. Jamal Hill, who, if you count Contender Series, is 3-0 and in the UFC. He's a minus 170 favorite to the veteran, Ovin St. Pru. And when you look at it and break it down, Ovin St. Pru's been in the UFC since 2013, so going on seven years. Uh, he's 13 and nine in the UFC, so slightly above winning record. Uh, strike force veteran, mind you. So if you count strike force as being high level, he's really been fighting high level MMA for close to a decade. Uh, coming off a win over Alonzo Menafield via KO, split decision loss to Ben Rothwell before that. Uh, so one and one in his last two, but a dog here to Jamal Hill. Break it down. So I get the love for Jamal Hill. I, I see the, the
0: path to victory for Jamal Hill. I think Jamal Hill is quite good. I, I'm impressed with what I've seen from him in two fights. But the fact of the matter is, is I don't think Jamal Hill has fought anybody even close to the skill level here of Ovin St. Pru. And I think that that's a problem. I, I'm actually going with Ovin St. Pru in this fight. And, and one reason is is the, the strength of schedule for Jamal Hill. Right, like You don't just go out and beat people like, uh, let's see, his, his record is, you, you just said it too, he beat Clinton it. Like, those are good wins to have for a new guy in the UFC, but this is a big step up, right? Like, Ovin St. Pru fought for the title. He's fought, you know, Ryan Bader. He's fought John Jones. He's fought, like, he's fought everybody, right? And, and Jamal Hill's best fight is against Clinton Abreu. Um, the other thing I think you're going to see being difficult here for Jamal Hill Is this going to be maybe the first time in his whole career he's been at a reach disadvantage? Jamal Hill has got an exceptionally long reach with 79 inches. He's very tall. He's very long at 6'4". St. Pru is a little bit shorter at 6'3", but he does have a reach advantage. He's at 80 inches of reach. And to me, that's a really interesting piece here too because Hill likes to strike from distance. He does work pretty well on the inside, but he's going to have to get on the inside of Ovin St. Pru if he wants to win this fight. I just don't see it happening. I also think St. Prue's got the advantage on the ground. We constantly forget about how good St. Prue is on the ground. And not just with the Von Prue joke either. Like if you go back, you know, he's got other wins on the ground that are pretty damn impressive too. He, he KOs guys on the ground. I mean, like he, he knocked out, um, if I'm not mistaken, Cody Donovan from the ground. So the guy's got lots of skills. I think we're probably underestimating him here because he had an ugly loss or two in there. I, I like St. Prue in this fight year against Jamal Hill.
3: Maybe not as pronounced, but we'll move uh, to the female side of the UFC. And you have Montana De La Rosa, also a dog, a four-year veteran of the UFC. Hasn't fought a ton, actually. She's four and two in the UFC, counting an ultimate fighter finale win. Uh, and again, the dog here at plus 175, Tatalya Santos, who uh, is a Dana White Contender Series alumni Uh, Takeaway contender series win. She's only one and one in the UFC. Uh, Lost to Mara Barella and then a big win over Meatball Molly McCann via unanimous decision. She's coming off that win and she's a favorite here at minus one thirty five. Or excuse me, at minus two hundred. Minus two hundred. Break this one down. Yeah, this is wild to me because, uh, Talia
0: Santos is so hard to gauge because you mentioned the two the two fights she's had in the UFC. A loss to Maro Romero Barella, who, by the way, if you're counting at home and you went back and looked at Maro Romero Barella's record, she's one in five in her last six. And the only win on there is Talia Santos. So like, that is a very, very ugly loss. And then in meanwhile, beating Molly McCann, who's a, pretty much a, one of the top 15 fighters in the division, right? Like Molly McCann, I believe was ranked in the top 15. And she suffered takedown after takedown after takedown from Talia Santos. The interesting question for me here is whether or not Montana De La Rosa can get the takedown. If Montana De La Rosa can get the takedown and bring Talia Santos to the mat, I think she wins this fight pretty easily. Um, and the fact that Mauro Romero Barella was able to take her down twice uh, in route to that split decision victory, I'm actually favoring De La Rosa. I know we've gone dog twice here on this this three-fight main card that we've broken down, but... I think I like the dog here just because that loss still sticks out to me as not being a particularly good one. Granted it was almost two years ago at this point, but that that takedown defense is still a big question mark for me, and beating a boxer like Molly McCann doesn't really
3: solve that equation. All right. Our dog of the week. <laughs> Damon Jackson plus one seventy-five. Uh why do we like Damon? So I
0: like Damon Jackson over Aliyah Taporia here for a lot of reasons. Number one is sort of like I talked about with Jamal Hill. I think Taporia is largely untested. His fights so far, he's only had one UFC fight so far. In a very short career, he's only fought nine times total. And he's got a very similar style to Damon Jackson here. Both guys like to wrestle. Both guys like the sub game quite a bit. I just think Damon Jackson is the more experienced, more polished guy. I mean, he went out his last fight after being out of the UFC for five years and submitted Sad Betstick, and somehow he's still coming into this fight against a nine-fight veteran out of Georgia as as an underdog, which to me is crazy, and not only is it crazy, the reason I'm picking it as my underdog of the week is because it's almost plus 200. You're, you're going to get three-to-one money here, or two-to-one money, plus your money back, on Damon Jackson, and those odds seem to be going up. You might even want to wait a little bit before placing that bet, because you might be able to get him at plus like plus 200 by the time this fight comes around. So I like Damon Jackson here for the sub-skills, for the control on the top, and I actually think he probably wins a striking battle if this one not negates itself in the grappling department.
3: Uh, Our parlay to play, Roman Dullitz, minus 155, and Gian Vellante, minus 220. Play them together, get you plus 135. Let's hear it. So I'm going to brag a little bit about our parlay first before we get going because we have hit three
0: weeks in a row. That's right. If you were playing our plus money parlays every single week, we've won you cash. We're good at what we do. Here's why we're good at what we do this week. Delizzi is an absolute beast. Not only do I love him in the striking department and the crazy KO power he has, but he's fighting John Allen, who's a Brazilian who's coming off of a long time or a a long USADA suspension. That is a bad recipe here for him against the guy who's a power puncher and probably was a better fighter than him in the first place. So we talk long layoff, USADA suspension, probably coming off off the juice. He's going to look worse, and he's fighting a guy who's a better striker in the first place. For John Vellante, it's less of picking him because let's be honest, when John Vellante came out in his last fight, he looked fat. He looked out of shape. He didn't look good at all. But that being said, he still almost beat Maurice Green until he gassed out with like, you know, three minutes to go in the last round. He's finding a guy who saw a very similar physique change as him, probably worse than Jake Collier. Uh, I, I just think Jean Volante was more suited for the move up to the heavyweight than, than Jake Collier was. And I think we're going to see a better version of Jean Volante here in his second version or stint in the heavyweight division. So I like him and Dalidzi at plus 135 together. Let's make it
3: four weeks in a row. I like that, and I like us. I like fights, dogs, and parlays. We're pretty good at what we do. Hit us up on our Twitter. Let us know if we did you right this week, or let us know if we did you dirty. Also, be on the lookout. Next week, we'll be doing a special grappling edition for the mega card, who's number one of fights, dogs, and parlays. We'll be breaking down all the jujitsu gambling action uh, if you're either a huge gambling addict <laughs> or a huge jujitsu jitsu addict, uh, and one of those things is better than the other, obviously, but we got you covered for that event. Uh, love fights, dogs, and parlays. Love bringing it to you, and we love hearing your feedback. Gumby, wrap this bad boy up. And that's going to do it for another
0: episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We wouldn't have a show without you guys. We also wouldn't have a show without our sponsors, Maroon Social, ProPay Metrics, and Respect the Tap. We also want to remind you guys to check us out on Flow Combat. That's the mothership where you can see my articles and the episode coming out each and every week. We want to remind you to check out our Twitter and our Instagram, both at MMA, on those formats. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you next week.